It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a few minutes, where normally we'd have the Clark Rageous moment, today I've got a sizzling deal for you, the opposite of a ripoff. And coming up yet later... I have a way for you to do something that will help to some measure protect your identity online. I'm going to tell you a very simple procedure you can follow that will help with some of the prying eyes that are out there. Our main website is Clark.com, and when you're into deals, ClarkDeals.com is the place. So we have a huge number of Americans that are facing back-breaking burdens from student loans. And I've talked over the years about the abuses in the student loan industry with a lot of really, really rotten, terrible scoundrels in the student loan industry and student loan servicing that purposely lie to borrowers to prevent borrowers from being able to pay back their student loans on the most favorable terms. And the greatest scandal affecting the federal student loan program involves people who are doing public service work, is police officers, firefighters, or teachers, where they're doing public service work. And there's a special public service loan forgiveness program where When you are in a public service profession like those, and there are some others as well, your loans are forgiven, the remaining balance, after 10 years of payments. That You've chosen to go into a profession of public service. You're not making as much money as you'd make elsewhere. And to encourage people to go into a field of public service, that's why the public service loan forgiveness program exists. But the federal government has abused those borrowers and has not been forgiving loans to people after they in good faith have made the 10 years of payments. And a lot of it is because of lender abuses, a variety of uh, dishonest, crooked, or potentially illegal practices by financial institutions and by student loan servicers that have cheated borrowers. Well, now... This is absolutely stunning, but the person who is now in charge of protecting student borrowers' interests is now someone who has come to that job in the federal government from one of the lenders that is considered to be one of the worst at abusing students, cheating them, lying to them, and the rest. So obviously there is no seriousness in the U.S. Department of Education or the role played by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in seeing that the laws of the United States are faithfully executed and that student borrowers are treated properly. What this means is you are on your own, at least for now, as a borrower, unless a court requires the federal government to do what it's required to do by law, but is flouting. And so it is your full responsibility to ignore anything ever told to you 
buy a lender, buy a bank, or buy a student loan servicer. And you have got to know the rules. You have got to know what loans you have. You have got to make sure on your own that you are properly verified that you are doing everything as required under the federal student loan program because it's now a green light for the banks, the lenders, and the student loan servicers to continue to lie and cheat and steal from student borrowers. And so it's totally on you as a borrower to make sure that you are doing everything as required and you document everything. If you are a public service worker, you're a police officer or something like that, you need to properly document that you have made every payment as required of the 120 for that forgiveness. And it shouldn't require this. You should be able to trust that the law will be properly handled. But because there are those in power who object to student loan forgiveness, they're handling this just by not honoring the law. Now, if you don't like the law, go change the law. But we, as public policy in the United States, had the ability for student loan borrowers who were doing public service work to have the loan forgiveness. And if that is the law of the land, it should be honored. And it's ridiculous it's not. So it's going to be on you to make sure that you are protecting yourself because the people whose job it is to treat you right don't take that seriously and you're on your own. Jake is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jake. Yes. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Yourself? Great. Thank you, Jake. How can I serve you today? Uh, first, it's an honor to talk to you. Um, I've been a listener for the last three, about year and a half, and it's just been great to, to learn all kinds of different knowledge. Well, thank you. Um, the question I have is, is my grandma is 93. Um, she has just recently moved to a kind of an assisted living, has an independent apartment, and recently sold her house and has a large chunk of money. I'm, I've kind of wanted to help her with some of her finances and stuff. And she's kind of just, we're kind of wondering um, kind of what's best to do with that money. I mean, that's someone at her age. Um, it's a large chunk of money that she got for the sale of her house and just kind of what is best to do with that money um, so in the it, time being. At 93, fantastic that she's been able to live independently till just now. Isn't that yes. tr- that's tremendous. Absolutely. She's in very good health, um, but doesn't want to tie it up in the risk of the stock market, some of those things. So. Right. So if this is money she's going to need to live on for the number of years she may have in front of her, and that's so hard to say because she's made it way beyond what the actuarial tables would say. Yes. So this is a case that requires extreme conservatism if this is all money she may need to live on. It really isn't. She has another chunk of money that, you know, she's saved for retirement and stuff. That, so this is kind of separate money. We've told her, you know, you have, you know, she worries about her money, but this is really other extra money um, at, at the time being. So does, if she's never going to need it, Might she want to give it to people who would inherit it from her at time of her passing? 
I mean, they could be. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things, like, you talked to some of those online savings accounts. I don't know, is that something that would be possible or smart? She could certainly do online savings accounts. The rate she'd earn are not outstanding. You know, those rates are dropping as there's more fear that we're headed to an economic slowdown. But uh, it's possible to get a rate in the twos. But what might be a better idea if it's money she doesn't need at all right now is she could put money in CDs. She'll earn more like 2.5% with an online bank doing CDs. CDs you can do a minimum of like a year? Sure. So you do a year. um, The year rates tend to be right now around two and a half if you shop around. And And if you go longer, you're not going to earn a lot more, but you'd lock in that interest rate. So it's it's all a matter of what the what the purpose of the money is. Mm -hmm. And if the money is not really needed for living expenses and wouldn't need to be used for that for many years, then that may or may not be the right move. So let me let me circle back. Yep. If she's never going to need this money likely, and her intention is for kids or grandkids to inherit, she can give up to $15,000 of money to any individual without any issues with taxes or anything like that. Okay. And so... I don't know how much other money she has, but if it's enough that this is like just surplus money, mm-hmm. this is a good opportunity for her to give it away to family members. Okay. Yeah, I know it's, you know, she has a number of years she's covered to live in this place at the expense that she's paying per month, you know, so she's covered for the next five to six years, you know, and then possibly this money would need to be used, but... Um, if that's the case, then if she might, you know, she could outkick 101. Yes. Yeah, or something like that. In that case, then it would not be a good idea to give the money away. And, and for lack of a better idea right now, stashing the cash in CDs would be just fine. And if you go like to bankrate.com and look at best CD rates, you'll be able to see, and you could even do a split of the money in one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, and five-year CDs so that a certain amount of the money is available every 12 months, and then you've locked in a certain amount of interest rate as a way of just stashing the money in a parking space. Chinten is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? How are you today? Good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Congratulations. You just had twins? Yes, it was almost like a five weeks ago. Wow! So no sleep yet. A uh, little bit now, but and that's why I'm like, let me just start thinking about that future since I'm getting some sleep now. Okay. Well, how can I be of service? So I have a threefold three question uh, related to each other. Uh, I'm trying to look into the college funding 509 or 569 plan for them? It's actually called 529 plan. Yes, 529 plan. So my question is, what are the limits of how much money I can put in the account for both of them? So under most state plans, the amount you can put aside is in the uh, better than $100,000. So there's no problem at at the upside. The big problem is most people don't have the resources to put aside 
much money for a child's 529 plan. Mm -hmm. So okay. you could you could put aside a big chunk of money if you wanted to. Okay. I mean that's that's not hard. The the thing is though, I want you saving the maximum you can for your own retirement first before you yes. start putting money aside for a kid's college. Yes, I'm doing that thing. I have I'm always maxed out on my 401k for sure since I learned from that's your show. So I always max out on my 401k. And I right now I'm doing 80, 20, like 80 on regular 401k and 20 on Roth 401k. So at least I'm getting, hoping so, that I may get some. So you're doing tax. some serious savings. What state do you live in? Ohio. All right. So Ohio has, uh, if you go in the particular 529 plan that I've recommended, mm -hmm. it's on my dean's list, which is my highest list, best mm -hmm. 529 plans in the country and okay. you could put money aside you can put it big chunks of money or you can do an automatic contribution every month going mm -hmm. into each of your twins 529 plan okay and are those tax deductible or do i still have to pay so it's tax? up to each state whether or not there's a tax deduction for participating in the plan you click on my hyperlink for the mm -hmm. ohio plan and it'll tell you what state tax benefit you might be eligible for. Okay. So let's go to my next question. So I'm planning to decide because I, for the next year, uh, since we are having, we have twins, I'm planning to hire a nanny and something. So once again, on from your show, I heard that it should be uh, better to put some money on FSA account that I can use towards hiring a nanny or putting on a daycare. Would you recommend putting more money on FSA or just doing half and half between 529 and FSA next year? No, definitely do the max you can in the FSA. No doubt you want to do the max because then you're paying those dependent care expenses pre-tax. So you want to maximize that because you're going to be paying that money out anyway for dependent care, for child care. And... Only beyond that, the money you can afford to save should go in the 529 plan. And that would be the right way because then you're getting uh, tax benefit on all the money for your child care and you're getting tax benefit on the money you put aside for a kid's college. And congratulations again. You'd usually be hearing the Clark Rageous moment right now, but instead today, I got a sizzling deal for you. And let me tell you why. Yeah, what's fair is fair. I make a lot of fun at Walt Disney World, how expensive it is to go to the parks and how they've gone to this variable pricing that can hit as much as 150 bucks for one ticket for one day. So there's a four-month special going on, I got to make sure you're aware of, that is good now till December 15th, where you can buy discounted admissions to the Walt Disney World Parks, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Animal Kingdom are all included. And you have to buy two, three, or four days of admission. And the key is you cannot enter a park until noon. That's the only requirement you have to live by in order to get this off-season special. You know, the fall is when so many bargains are available in the world of travel 
because people just, uh, for vacations, for leisure, travel at so much smaller a rate. That's why cruises are so much cheaper in the fall, uh, travel to fun in the sunspots, they're all cheaper. Disney, no exception. So the tickets range as cheap as $79 per day, which is a major discount versus what you normally pay to go to the parks. And it's called the Midday Magic Ticket Offer. I have a link that explains how it works, what you do to qualify at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com so that you can save the money on a trip to Walt Disney World in the fall. The other thing is because it's a slower travel time, a lot of accommodations in Central Florida are a lot cheaper in the fall also. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day. Your phone number, my phone number, more and more anywhere you go, our phone number is being used as an identifier. As companies have been moving away from tracking us based on social security number because of the Equifax data breach making social security numbers suspect. More and more databases now are tracking us based on our phone number. There are any of a number of situations where you may not want somebody to have your actual phone number. Uh, Think of people that are single, that are dating. Um, Think of... uh, any of a number of personal circumstances where you would not want to have your regular number known and available to other people. So it's really easy for you now to have additional an additional number or additional numbers. The most common go-to is something called Google Voice. And if you go to Google Voice, you pop in an area code that you would like a number, and instantly Google gives you access to a number. So I just put in an area code, and immediately, right while I'm talking to you right now, Google gave me six different numbers I could choose from. And if I don't like any of those, let's see, it says show more. Oh, I got another Six I can choose from. Oh, that would be a nice number. Anyway, you can, you can look through and see a number you'd like. And then you have a couple of ways to do business. I think about how many loyalty programs now are based on your phone number. And do you want all these loyalty programs to have your actual phone number? Well, maybe you do. Maybe you don't care. But, but if you do care and you don't want them to have it, If you just Google Google Voice, gosh, that's weird to say, right? And you go to Google Voice, they'll walk you through picking out a number and then walk you through how to use it. And so you can use this as a replacement for your identity. And it's the number you can give to individuals, to organizations, whatever. Now, there are others who want to have a continuing stream of different numbers for different purposes, I assume for legitimate reasons. But anyway, there's an app called the Burner app. 
And with the Burner app, you can create different numbers at will. And you can see how that one works. If you don't want Google in your business, you can see how Burner app works. So why would this be valuable anyway? Well, the tech writer for the New York Times went to a data guy and said, hey, what can you find out about me from my phone number? And it is creepy, scary. Wow. How much stuff in just a few minutes a data guy was able to find out about this tech writer just from his phone number. And so he was able to do a full dossier, birth date, address, uh, names of members of the family, was able to come up with information to be used to crack into other accounts that the reporter had. And in an hour, the researcher was able to come up with so much data on him, it was amazing, all based on how many databases now track us based on our phone number. And that's the value, another value. So you got personal safety here, and then you have privacy of your information and your identity all involved with your phone number. And that's why it's such an advantage for you to look at using Google Voice or the Burner app, or there may be situations where you use both of those. Josh joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Josh. Hey, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Josh. You want to get out of debt in a second, if you could. That's right. What are you thinking of doing? My question is, is it really worth it to accelerate a mortgage payment? Um. Since my wife and I bought our house, we've been paying more than what we're required to pay, uh, roughly 13 payments in 12 months. And a lot of that money is going to PMI due to the level of equity we have in our house. Well, I can never disagree with anybody building equity in a home so that you can get rid of PMI, because PMI is kind of like throwing money down a sewer. How much do you have to pay each month for PMI? Uh, roughly, probably two fifty of our house payments going towards it. Wow! So three thousand bucks a year goes back in your pocket if you can get rid of PMI. So, um, without asking you any other questions, there may be superior places for you to take money that you're putting towards making additional payments on a mortgage, but in isolation. Developing equity in that home so you can get rid of PMI is a wonderful thing. How much did you put down? What percent when you bought the home? When we bought, uh, it was probably near 7 8%. We're up to 12 now. All right, and then 12 is based on what you paid for the home. But the question I would have for you, in the time that you've owned the home, have home values increased where you live? They have, yes. All right. So have you talked to your lender to see if you could appraise out from PMI based on the equity you have and the increase in value of your home? I have not considered that. All right. So 
um, depends on the loan you're in and the procedure that would be involved. But if your home value has potentially increased enough and then you add to it the equity you've built up with the payments you've made, if that would get you to 20% or more, you may be able by hiring an appraiser that is on a list that your lender would have to be able to be removed from PMI now because of the equity you now have because of increasing value plus what you paid in. Do you think it's increased enough that you might be beyond 20 or you still have some time in front of you for that? We may have a little time in front of us, but it's something I'm going to be looking into. Wow. So, yeah, look at what homes go for sale for around you and try to get a sense of what increase in value there's been. And then you start the process with your lender to find out their procedure for removing PMI. Usually you have to pay several hundred dollars for an appraisal by an appraiser they that's on their approved list. And then if you hit the number, you're done with paying that PMI and $3,000 a year stays in your pocket. So I, I think that if you want to, um, to do prepayment of principal to get to that goal, that's a very worthy goal without even getting into other possibilities in your life. The PMI is such an atrocious thing to have to pay that if you can dump that, I want you to dump it. Ed is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ed. Hi, Mr. Howard. How are you? Great, but please call me Clark. Hi, Clark. <laughs> Much better. So what's going on, uh, Ed? So, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm a new listener. Started about three weeks ago. Wow, you uh, are a rookie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really green. Um, and I found your podcast to be extremely helpful and pertinent, so thanks for doing what you do. Certainly. Uh, recently, uh, you mentioned to a caller uh, that he should have two credit cards uh, in his name and two in his wife's name. Um, I'm wondering why you make that recommendation uh, and the benefits of doing that. And I can give you a little bit of background on my situation to see if it changes things at all. All right. So let me answer it generically first, and then we'll drill down specifically for you. How's that? Sure. All right. Perfect. So I have recently talked about the the two and two with credit cards because with the economy uh, looking like it's headed towards a slowdown and defaults on loans rising, historically credit card companies start cutting back on their credit card portfolios. And they, out of nowhere, will dump somebody who's been a good payer. They'll just decide, you know, this is more risk than we want, or they'll even do it last time the banks went through a big purge they were dumping people based on zip code. So if a particular area of the country started slowing down, they would put special emphasis on curtailing charging privileges or closing accounts of people who were in zip codes where they were worried about the economy slowing. So we're going from a time of uh, a 10-year economic expansion in the United States to the possibility that we're going to a lower speed or potentially even into reverse with a recession, although the odds of a recession, if you look at what uh, the consensus of economists would say, are only about 3 in 10 or 4 in 10. But that's 
that's not, that's really not an only. I mean, you know, we have a pretty decent chance that we're going to go into an economic slide. So I want people prepared for the possibility that banks start willy-nilly cutting. And if you only have uh, two credit cards with for the two of you and you know, the bank decides they don't want you anymore and you're down to one, that's pretty thin at a time that it becomes harder to get new credit when banks get scared. So that's why this is getting prepared for the possibility of an economic, probability of an economic slowdown and possibility of a recession that you get two cards each from different issuers. So it's a protection against what might happen with how banks cut back people's charging. So now let's talk specifically about you. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, so we have three cards, two of which are with the same company, and the third one's with a, with a, a different company, um, all of which were in my name originally, and I had added her as an authorized user. Um, when we opened these up several years ago, her credit score was around in the 500s or so, and we've gotten that up to 800s, I think partly in... Uh, partly due to the high credit limit uh, that kind of moved over under her credit report um, by having those combined cards. Right. So um, you essentially have, even though you have three cards, you basically have two Okay. At an operating level because they're only from two issuers. You have two cards from one issuer. So you're okay because you still have the equivalent of, even though you have three cards, you basically have two different financial institutions but mm-hmm. she's got zero. Now that her credit score is rock solid, it'd be good for her to get cards in her own name. Okay. Because okay, you don't know sense. what happens with either of your careers, jobs, whatever. It's good for each of you to have your own credit. And now that you've lent your good standing to her and she's jumped up 300 points, this is a really good time for her to have her own cards. Okay. And if that you want to get sense. really... Yeah, let me say this, though. If you want to get really scientific about it, she should have um, her cards from different issuers than either of the two that you have, so that if one issuer says, you know what, we're getting out of credit cards. You know, it doesn't wipe out what she's got and what you've got. Okay, that makes sense. So So basically four total cards, each of which from a different issuer then. Exactly. And go ahead. You wanted to say one other thing? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I guess, you know what? Uh, you kind of answered it because if we end up doing that, I was going to ask about um, if, if we if we keep it how it is with an authorized user, what happens, say, if I if I pass away, does she automatically lose those cards? She um, does. Or is there she a way does. For, I mean, okay. that's why you want to have your own credit established. You know, when my father died back in the 1980s, my mom only had authorized user cards and they were all taken away from her when my father died. And that's why, that's a, yet another reason why in a couple, both should have their own credit because um, you never know when something happens and one of us is no longer with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Michael is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, Howard. I'm good. Thanks for uh, taking my call, and it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Well, I understand that you have been suffering mightily having your IRA with a giant monster mega bank. That's correct. I'm ready to join the non-big bank club. Well, it is so easy with an IRA, you're not going to believe it. Good. I don't have to sell them or anything. I can just transfer the shares. No, what you do is actually you sell out your account because there's no tax on that and you have them send you a check. Sure. That's all you have to do. And then you have 60 days from the date on the check to get it. I don't take the full 60 days to redeposit it with one of the low cost companies. What about um, just regular securities that are not under the IRA umbrella? So that's a different question. So if you want to move, if you've got a a brokerage operation at a big bank and you want to move away from them, with the brokerage account, you go to who you want to go to, whoever that would be. Have you picked out a discounter yet? No, not yet. So whichever discounter you go to, uh, the big three are Fidelity, Schwab, and Vanguard, but there are others as well, but those are the big three. Whoever you pick, you go to them, you open an investment account, a regular brokerage account, and then you take them a statement from the Giant Monster Mega Bank um, brokerage operation, and they'll have you sign a form, and then they handle the transfer of the account over so you won't have to sell any of the holdings in the brokerage account. You generate no tax problem moving that stuff over. Oh, that's great. So, and the I didn't transfer think it would be that easy. Yeah, the transfer of a brokerage account is usually extremely easy. If you just bring your statement with you, make sure you register your name exactly the same with the new company as you did with the old one, then it is a very simplified transaction. Now, sometimes if you've had an account at a giant monster mega bank investment arm, they will charge you a junk fee for leaving them. And the new place may pay that for you. You can ask. So you want to know, is there an exit fee? And a lot of times the banks, you know, they want to get their money out of you even when you're leaving. And they may charge you a couple of hundred dollars to leave them as a penalty for dumping them. And it just tells you again, how much you should have dumped them sooner. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.